This is going to be a fun series, and I'm really excited. Today will uh, be the first in the More Than series, but it really is a building series. Like, each week is on top of the next, and uh, I'm really excited for week four. Is that bad to say? Like, here I am in week one, but I'm just, like, glued in to week four and pumped I'm just going to throw that out there, throw that out there, but it's all going to build towards it, and I'm really excited. Um, Matthew 6, 19 through 21 is kind of the root of this this, uh, series name or title, I guess you would say, and it says this in verse 19 of Matthew 6, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that video and the imagery even in this series title, this more than graphic, I guess you would say, we put our heart into it and said, man, this really communicates what God's communicating to get our heart. And that is, he wants our desire to be fixed on him because that relationship will not decay. That there's no rust can, can affect that. No moths can eat that or destroy that. Uh, it can go on for eternity. And I think God is amazing to see from the beginning of time, as we'll discover over the course of the weeks, that the temptation to put our faith in treasures is one of the greatest stumbling blocks for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And uh, when the true reward or the true treasure for us is our desire for a relationship with Jesus, things are incredible come out of that heart that is in right relationship and in alignment with God. Our actions today will shape our heart tomorrow. And God's after our heart. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So God wants us to desire the things only he can make possible through a relationship with him. There are things God specifically made the church capable of doing. But if our desires are elsewhere, we find our treasure in things versus people. And people matter to God. When it comes to money, why do we put off aligning our finances with eternity in order that our hearts will be in the right place, right? Why do we put it off? And I think there's this thing called the when I mindset. When I, right? So like maybe you'd say, well, when I get the kids out of the house, then I'll be able to go on a missions trip and afford that for God to do something in my heart. Or when I get that raise, then then maybe I'll support Big Give next fall because maybe by then that raise will come in. Or, or maybe when I get the house taken care of, because that's a big bill every month, and, you know, in 30 years, it's bound to be paid off, <laughs> right? Or some of you are like, oh, they, I got a 60-year loan. I, I really lowered my payments. Um, your kids will love to pay that off. Moving on, uh, work, 
you know, when I work through this legal stuff, then maybe I'll get an inheritance and I can be generous. Or when I am free from child support, or when I win the lottery, Powerball, come on. I was going to give big if I won that billion dollar Powerball. Isn't that funny? It's like, you know, maybe, maybe it, what would I give to? You know, you just go through that. It's fun to dream, right? I, I, that, that was a fun moment. Uh, when I marry a rich person, right? My wife is going, yeah, that's, my, my hope for that is gone, right? And so, sorry, honey. When I pay off the, I don't know, right? That We give this when I syndrome, and, and we're just like, you know, I have the right intent to be generous. I, I want to make a difference in the world around me. I want to help this need or that need when I. And our big idea today is to kind of just help us not focus on the when I concept, I guess you'd say, but we have multiple titles, I think. I don't know which one made it on the screen, but uh, the one on your paper says money has limits is the big idea today. Money has limits. We could call it life is more than money, or as maybe I would title it today, if I were really changing it up, I would say Stop and see the eagles. Stop and see the eagles. It's kind of a, you'll get it in a second. So money can't do a lot of things. And I think, I think it's important for us to grasp this because we think when I land a bunch of money, these things will be better. But really, money cannot do a few things. And the first one, our first thought of what money cannot do, money cannot give you a good marriage. Just let that sink in, because some of you are like, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> My hope was out for that. That'd be a bad day right there. Let's pray for him. Like, stand your hands. No. Uh, money and the things it can buy cannot give you a good marriage. Although money is one of the leading stresses that leads to divorce, it's not going to make a good marriage. Let's face it, financial stress does cut deep, and the pressure to provide drives many to do things you never thought you would do in marriage. Working so many days to provide this or that and giving up this aspect of a relationship so that, you know, it's the handoff, it's the I'm going to work days, you're going to work nights so that we can live and provide this for our kids and then... All of a sudden, you don't see each other, and money's the driver of that. Living to a certain level is the driver of that, and couples don't see it coming, but often money and the attempt to acquire it can become a destructor of marriage. Some say that infidelity is easier to move past than money disagreements. Crazy. When I read that quote, I was like, whoa. However sound financial, sound financial rooting or footing, I guess you could say, does not guarantee a sound marriage either. You could have all the money in the world and really, really, really struggle with your relationships. Uh, on the flip side here, the wealthiest people, I mean, you see stories all the time because they're usually more visible, right, and have cameras following them, and you hear about how their relationships don't work up. Uh, work out. Entitlements get in the way. Uh, they think they can 
do things that money can buy that they should never do in a marriage, and it's a dangerous place to be. So there's, there's this double-edged sword that money introduces into relationships. There's nothing that can substitute for sacrifice for one another, selflessness in our love, something all the treasures in this earth cannot purchase. It's interesting how it's worded in Ephesians 5. There's an instruction for couples you may be familiar with. Verse 21 through 28 reads like this. Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Wow. There's a lot in that. Money is not the key here. That you didn't hear like in this instruction, husbands and wives, go make a lot of money because you'll be happy together. Right? Um, it does, doesn't give us this instruction. It says, it says the key is submission and service and, and a short memory and honoring one another as God gave Christ to the church. What an example to have to live up to, men. Right? But we need to lay down our lives for each other. It's, it's this reverence for Christ at the heart. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sounds familiar, right? Kind of like wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be. If we serve one another and love one another with that heart, with the desire as if we're honoring Christ with every act of service and every act of love and every affirmation, Wow. Marriage. That's the heart of a great marriage. Nothing financial in that transaction. And we're supposed to love our wives as we love our own body, which means I have huge love for Dana. You got that. Some of you got that. Others are going to go down. What? Okay, so people laughed when he said huge, his own body. Oh, 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 I see. I see that. So... I look in the mirror every day. I know these things. Moving on. So I consider it a successful, you know, successful Sunday if I don't have a wardrobe malfunction. It's like these buttons are not holding on very supremely. Okay, moving on. Uh, so now you're going, oh, dear Jesus, just bless that button. Keep it, keep it there. In the name of the Lord. Um, so I, I look here and I go, Dana gets a lot of love because when I look at myself in the mirror, there's a lot to love, right? And so I'm just like, come on. We, we, if that's our measuring point, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. That's a crazy instruction. But it's in the Bible, so we got to take it seriously, man. Uh, and we're supposed to love as Jesus loved the church. And we, we know that he's, Jesus gave up his life for the church. We're six weeks out from Easter. 
where we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, went to a cross, gave up his life willingly for you and I, and three days later rose from the grave so that we have a promise of not just life to the full now, but eternal life. That's insane. And we're challenged to love the same way. Jesus is incredible. And we get an opportunity to try to exemplify that same love in our marriage. It's powerful. Thought number two. Money cannot get your kids a better life. Or give your kids a better life. Your kids don't need more stuff. And we live in a world that says, man, well, you know, at the age of this, you got to get this stuff. And then at this age, all their friends are going to have this stuff. And then, you know, there's that stuff. We got to get them. And then they got to go do this stuff. And then there's that thing. And then there's this trip. And there's like, oh, man, if they haven't been to Disney by this age, then, oh, goodness, right? And there's this whole reality. Can I just say, when our family went to Disneyland, a few years ago, it was my first time ever in my life. It was just saying, just saying. I don't know. Moving on. Uh, what our kids want is presence. What gives them security is doing stuff with us. It's us being in their life and cons- really caring about their life. You could have all the luxuries and treasures in the world, but do you enjoy a meal together? Like, disconnected, looking at each other. Sometimes the tech we can afford (laughs) leads to be the fact that we could be in the same room and worlds apart. So do you have times where you could just lay that down? What steps are you taking so that your treasures are not wedges in your relationship? I I know even our our five-year-old Son, man, I could say it's dinner time, and if he's on Paw Patrol on an iPad, it's like dinner time, dinner time, dinner time, dinner time, it's dinner. Preston, you know, and he's still not there. You have to kind of walk over and go, and he's like, oh, is there another world? You know, he's like back from Paw Patrol world. So it's like, you know, how do you get through? that technology barrier. It's a new world. I mean, we have these things to deal with. Our kids, though, would way rather spend time with us than time on a show on an iPad or a game or whatever it is. And this is where the whole stop and see the Eagles thing comes in. So this has been an interesting week. Little game I play with Preston, the same five-year-old. On the way to school, uh, we play a little game recently because we've been seeing eagles almost every day, bald eagles on the way to school. And so we play a little game. How many eagles will we see? And so this, you know, usually it's like one or maybe two eagles and we have a conversation about, man, how blessed are we to live in a place where we can see eagles like on the way to school. This is ridiculously amazing. And these are beautiful. They're like dogs with wings. They're huge, right? These bald eagles. And so uh, you can spot them forever off. It's the big, huge thing on top of trees. So we're like driving along, and and this week we play the little game. How many are we going to see? I'm like, how many are we going to see, President? I'm guessing we're going to see one. And he'll always go like, I'm guessing we're going to see 12,588. 
that's a big number of eagles. So that's awesome. And he goes, no, I think we're going to see two, which is the most we had ever seen. So well, this is Thursday. We're on our way to school, and there's two in one tree. We're like, what? This is awesome. And we're driving farther, and there's another one. I'm like, brand new record. And I'm trying to have fun while we're driving. You know, it's like an eight-minute trip. I'm just like, doo-doo-doo-doo, we're the winners. We got to see three. Next thing you know, there's another bald eagle. We're going, oh, my goodness, that's another one, isn't it? And he's back in the back seat going, woo, new record again. Doo, 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 doo. And we're just having fun. It was so simple. Well, Friday we get in the car. And we're driving. And I'm like, how many are we going to see? I think we're going to see three. You know, now our expectations are higher. And he's like, we're going to see 566 and 88. It always ends in 88 for some reason. And I'm going, yes, we are, buddy. New record. You know, and we're laughing. And then we drive, and there's no eagles. Like, we don't see anything. And, and then we go around this corner, and there's a bunch of cars pulled off to the side of the road. And we're late for school. And I'm going, oh, man, what are they doing? What are they gawking at? And they're out of their cars. And when we pass those cars, they're right off from me to you right off the road is a bald eagle just enjoying a meal. I, I took a picture of Preston, probably too dangerously close to it. But anyway, um, we, we, you know, we pull over because you got to, right? It's like, when else are you going to just here to there see a bald eagle and your heart's pounding because you wonder, is it going to get mad at us for stopping and looking at it this close, you know? And so we just en enjoyed watching it pull the guts out of whatever it had underneath its claw there. But uh, that's kind of a nervous smile on Preston's face right there. But he's got a Batman shirt on. He can whip out some trick and take that eagle down if he needs to. But I just, you know, sometimes you just have to stop and see the, the eagles. You can't pay money for that experience. We were just driving to school. Money can't make for a better relationship with our kids or provide this relationship to be more rich. But we can certainly use moments like that to show how God cares for us. Man, buddy, isn't it amazing? And he's like, man, God is amazing to create those birds so that we get, it's an eagle, buddy. It's in an eagle family. But it's a bird, dad. Yeah, it's got wings, you know. So we have these conversations. He's like, man, God's really blessed us this week. And he'll say things like that. He's like, five. And then there'll be a great sunrise, and our eight-year-old daughter will walk out on the front porch, and the first thing she says is, thank you, God, right? And all the neighbors are like, uh, what did I just hear outside, you know? And, uh, but it's like, that's seriously, it's been modeled. I heard a great thing at a conference this week where uh, the, the speaker said he never had to challenge his kids and say, you need to read your Bible. Why? Because they, as parents, read their Bible. We've never said to our daughter, when you walk outside and you see the sunrise, you should raise your hands and say, thank you, God. And ne never in our life have we said that. It just bubbles out because of the life that's full in a relationship. Her desire is God. Our desire is God in our home, and we just see this bubble out in our kids. I love it. We pray for them on the way to school. We pray for them at night and with them at night, and it just comes naturally. I don't know. What I'm trying to say is money can't buy that. Proverbs 22.6 says, Direct your children 
onto the right path. And when they are older, they'll not leave it. Money can't buy that. Thought number three, money cannot give you real satisfaction. I can't get... I was just thinking that. I mean, you have to say that. The word satisfaction just makes you sing. But I try, right? Money and the things money can buy won't bring deep satisfaction in your life. You may think they do, but come on. We can turn on the TV any time of day and see a very public demonstration about how money doesn't provide real satisfaction. There's lives falling apart. Now, money can be an incredible tool that God can bless you with. I'm not saying if you have money, you're doomed. I'm just saying if it's your driver instead of the desire for God, you're teetering on a fence that is really dangerous to walk along. I don't know. It's like money and the pursuit of treasures and riches is kind of like opening up a Pringles can. Can you eat just one of those? It's impossible, isn't it? There's an addictive substance. They must drizzle over every one of those chips. I mean, they say it themselves, can't eat just one. You are right. What's on that, right? And uh, so you're just like chowing down. I could chow through a can of Pringles so easy. I'll have to drink like gallons of water afterwards. But, you know, they're so good. And you're just like, I don't care what they are, like bacon, cheddar, sour cream, or whatever they make them as now. There's all these flavors. But you're just like... It's a Pringle. Something about it. It just makes you eat it. Pursuing riches is the same thing. It's like a drug. And we get one treasure, and it's like, I need the next. I got an iPhone. I need the newest one. I need the jumbo-sized one. Or wait, now they're going to make it smaller. I need the smaller one. You know, and it's just, it's, it's this world we, we live in and put our treasure and our hope in this thing thing is going to provide me pleasure when Jesus is saying, I'm over here. If you desire me more than anything else, I'll bless you with more than you can handle. But with us together, we can handle it. But desire me first, right? God is the only one that can provide a deep satisfaction. John 6, 35 says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If we will surrender our hearts to Jesus and align our hearts with the things of God, the fulfillment we walk through life with will exponentially be greater than those who have it all. It will. It will just be greater. You don't have to think too hard to, to picture some people who've had it all and they see it all crumble before them. But did they have themselves aligned with the desires of God when they received it all? And that's our challenge is to get our hearts in right relationship now so that we can contain the blessings of God when they come. But if it's on our agenda and our gain, we venture down dangerous roads because we're saying money can do things that God doesn't really want us to put our treasures there. He wants our desires over here. Thought four. 
Money cannot make you generous. Money cannot make you generous. Generosity is the result of intentional decisions, not as a result of wealth. It comes back to the when I syndrome, right? The when I mindset. Well, when I, I'll be generous. When I, whatever, fill in the blank, I'll be generous. But generosity precedes you being wealthy. It's something that's a lifestyle, right? I remember hearing a story about a restaurant starting up. And they were training all their employees. And I was in the restaurant. I was a singing and dancing waiter. I'll let that settle in for a second. There you go. Okay, there it landed. Uh, but, you know, I was. I was an, an entertainment coordinator on a cruise ship and a singing and dancing waiter. It was just a sight to behold. And sometimes I'm, sh- sometime I'm sure videos will make it online. But anyway, uh, we were there and uh, would, would do these in- incredible Broadway productions in the middle of a cruise. It was very entertaining. But we, you know, you just got to develop systems to have a boat full of 500 people and take care of everybody in a three-hour cruise. And so in the restaurant business, as I was moving my way up, I remember hearing this story while I was there of a restaurant that had uh, people take numbers to be seated and how there were empty seats in the restaurant, but yet they were still making people pull the numbers. And... So one of the guys asked, well, why are we having people take numbers when obviously there's seats? Why don't we just forgo that when we don't have the restaurant full? And then we can bring it back when the restaurant is full. And they simply said, no, you practice systems now so that you're prepared when it is full. And that story came back to me when I was thinking about this point. Because... Man, if we're generous with $1 on a consistent basis and just practice that generosity, we'll be practiced with thousands in the future. We'll be the ones that are able to shock someone with that gift that we could provide them. If we're, if we're generous with a meal now for someone in need, I loved it in our group on Wednesday night. As we're praying, I loved the prayer request from someone that said, I want to pray for Mike. I want to pray for this young man we met on the streets of Portland and we're able to provide a meal for that's homeless, addicted to meth, but yet they need love. They need hope. They need someone to be there consistently in their life. Like that's generosity. That's generosity. It's unconditional. No way any strings are attached or it could come back to you. I love that story. That's generosity. Money can't buy that. It's a way of living. It supersedes economic boundaries. It's a way of life. And it results in our understanding what matters most. Final thought and I'm landing this plane pretty early today, but I'm not going to preach long just for the sake of preaching long. Wow, nobody shouted amen because we're not that church, right? But anyway, uh, so money cannot make you focus on your faith. Money cannot make you focus on your faith. Well, I'll focus on my faith when I'm more financially stable and I don't have to work weekends or whatever that is. When you can trust in your money 
to take care of you, it's much more difficult to trust God to take care of you. And that's why Jesus even challenged the wealthy amongst them. He said, man, it is hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of God because our trust, we can put it in money. And, and it, I've told my story a couple times, but I gave my life to the Lord through an Amway convention. Let that settle in. I was pursuing riches. Like that's exactly what got me to Jesus. As I was reading these self-help books and, and think and grow rich and how to win friends and influence people. And they're all talking about God in them. And I'm sick of the God stuff in these books. And I thought of setting the books down, but something hurt good about them. And eventually it got into me. I was like, these guys all follow Jesus. This is pretty weird. There must be something to this. And I started to open myself up to that. Well, I found myself in a coliseum of people who were pursuing riches as well. And, and I remember my, I was falling more in love with Jesus than riches all of a sudden. And I didn't know what to do with that. And then I had one of the people who had, they're called upline, if you're familiar at all. One of the people who had influenced people who influenced people who got a hold of me. Uh, said to said they had their wife fall down the stairs and she was paralyzed and he said man I just want to thank the fact that I'm rich from Amway because if I didn't have money I don't know what I would do right now with my wife being in the condition she's in and I'm like Ugh, I don't think it's all about money and I started to get this big huge check in my life I don't know I see how we can so easily give all the credit to money. Makes sense, because bills happen. But what if we protect our hearts and align them with God and allow Him to provide the money and give Him the glory? Not money. Because money cannot do some of this. I don't know. 1 Timothy 6, 17, I'll close with this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Wow, there's a lot in there. And maybe that's a passage you hop on the app later this week and, and look into to let it sink in and go, man, because I understand I if you exist in America, you're in the top 5%, 4%, 2% of the globe. We're the ones that are supposed to use our money for good and be generous and there's a lot that can be done as God blesses us financially but first our hearts must be attached to him and we must be grateful like when Jaden our eight-year-old walks out the front door and sees the sunrise and goes thank you God our hope today in this first part of the series and is that you'll leave the action point if you will at the bottom of your notes is that you'll thank God for all the things in your life that are not attached to money. That you'll see the things that money can't buy this week and be so deeply, incredibly thankful. 
that this will be one of those weeks where you're just like more worshipful than you've ever thought in your life. Because God's given us so much. God's provided us so much beauty. God's provided us so much in the relationships we have with others. He deserves the thanks and the praise for that. Thank him for a good marriage. Thank him for your kids. Thank him for your life and the opportunity to be generous and your faith. So this is part one in a five-week series. And this series is not all about money, just so you don't worry about coming back next week. Uh, this series really about our heart and the desires of our heart. And so I want to pray today because I don't think it's just for children to be in awe of God. I think it's for us. Because he's given us so much that money cannot buy. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to, to consider the things that moths and rust cannot destroy. I thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to come and open your word and be challenged because we put so much trust in money. We put so much dependency on it. When you're just crying out, you're like, man, if you'll seek first me, all these things will be added to you. Your word promises. So, God, I pray for every individual here today that this will be a week where we will have an exceptional perceptive understanding of the things in our life that we should be giving you praise for that money cannot provide. We should be giving you thanks for the things that money cannot provide. Even in the midst, some of us in this room of having a financial crisis, even in the midst, some of us in this room need funding to pay for medical bills and, and different things. God, I just pray that you'll help us still to be in, in awe of you. We need that. In Jesus' name. Amen.